It's good to be here. It's good to be um, in the place where I've been since we've started. You know, it's good to grow with this church. It's uh, good to be able to see how um, it's been good, and obviously there's been bad. See, you know, people come and people go. But at the same time, it's good to be able to see that we are still here. You know, Lord, how is it now? Some 12 years now down the line, isn't it? So I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful to be part of this community. And again, um, I say that, I guess, more so in line with the fact that, you know, today what we're going to be learning about as we're going to, as we continue to go through the book of, um, or the letter of Philippians is this whole idea of unity, the whole idea of community, the value of that community, the value of the gospel community, and its incomparableness to any other community. You know, we live in a time where, obviously, um, I guess as some people have put it, the identity politics has taken itself into a whole new gear and the whole idea of all these various different groups making their claim to, to a more diverse and more equal society, you know, the, the gender pay gap, you know, the Black Lives Matters, the, you know, the LBGT, you know, well, you know, whatever. QT, you know, everybody is trying to figure out how we can make real communities come together. And again, as we go through this book, I, 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 I think we need to take some time to think and rethink what it might be, because there's a lot of voices out there telling us that we need to really get this part right, and then everything else will be falling into line. You know? So if we can just get the gender pay gap right, then everything else will kind of fall into line. If we can just get people to be more ethnically conscious, then everything will be right. But I think that is sometimes put in other issues that are really only resolved by first putting what I believe is the gospel that holds the key to unity. And if we try to sidestep that, then we're going to end up in a place where you are not going to achieve that unity that you claim by saying, if we get this right, then everything else will fall in line. So, as we continue to learn what it might be to be a community, today we're going to find out what it might be to be lights in the world. Lights in the world. I want to start by reading and then I want to pray and then I want to hopefully expound upon what I believe these words mean. But I want to start in Philippians 2 and I want to read from the first verse so that we can capture the momentum of what, we're, what I will be teaching on in 12 to 18 today. So if you can read with me, that would be a great thing. And I will start reading in the ESV. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, 
complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, But much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering among upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. We thank you for that, Lord God, as you have called and as we are here today as the assembled, Lord, the ecclesia, your people in your place there, Lord God, in your time. Father, I pray that, Father, as many as, as know you and are called to be obedient to you there, Lord God, will be able to respond to that which we are hearing today. Not to my words, dear Lord God, not to my teaching per se, but that, Lord God, that which we have within our spirit that we know is true and we know we ought to obey. That's your work, dear Lord God. I am here only merely just to clear away any cobwebs that we might have in our mind about how this is actually done. So in that sense, dear Lord, I pray that you also help me to communicate this in a way, dear Lord God, that is pleasing to you and will not confuse the work of your spirit in those, your people right here. So Lord, I pray that your voice will be heard above all others, even our own, so that, Lord, we may be obedient, even unto being light in the world. So help us this day, dear Lord. Because we know that you, as our Father, will it. You've given your Son, who has made it possible. And you've given your Spirit as a seal and a stamp, dear Lord God, that we may understand. 
thank you for your help, dear Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as I said, this is a reprise. Right from the very, well, I guess, from the very beginning of the letter, there is a call for this unity. And as is unique within Paul's way, he kind of circles this issue and kind of brings it back and, and gives you a little teaching and then gives you an application. He gives you a little bit more teaching and then he gives you more application. That's why in verse 12, there's a therefore. He gives us the, 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 the whole idea of what unity ought to be like. He gives us the idealism in the first five verses. This is what it ought to look like. And then he gives you the picture of Christ as to say, this is the reason why it will work. This is not mere idealism that is basically pie in the sky. It's the possibility and it's the reality that even if we don't accomplish it now, which we, most unlike, we more than likely won't, we know it will not be frustrated once all is made perfect in the kingdom to come. So therefore, it's real idealism. It's real utopianism. And today we're going to be kind of knuckling down on what that application is because that therefore gives me license to now say we really need to get this and we need, really need to work this into our lives. It would appear that unity is as elusive in, in Paul's time as it is in ours. It's not a new thing. It's not like, well, back in the day, we, you know, community, we kind of got community right. And so we can have that type of, that idea that somehow, back in the past, things were really better. Community has, was a problem, and if you, if you doubt me, go all the way back to Genesis 4 where a brother, possibly a twin brother, kills his own brother and then shrugs off any responsibility. It has been hard to live without putting ourselves first. So community has always been a challenge in a world marred with sin. What we have struggled with is a unifying principle. What is it, aside from all the other things, you know, my gender, my ethnicity, my class, whatever, what is it we can unify behind so that we can become a cohesive unit? We can become a loving community. Paul's solution is, is humility would be a really good start. Humility would probably get us a bit further down the line than anything else I've seen put out there by various campaign groups, governments, and the likes. We cannot hold to our self-importance and expect that unity will flow from that. 
We cannot hold on to our little agendas and say, well, as if you just appreciate me in my ethnicity, if you just appreciate me in my gender, if you just appreciate me in my particular situation, then all would be well. But that's what I see out there. Everyone putting out their stool saying, this is the key to unity. It's not in self-importance. It's not in you respecting me. Our value is established in being part of the body of Christ and not merely as human individuals. We live right now under the assumption that the value that we have is intrinsic to ourselves. I'm valuable regardless of any other thing. And this is what's bolstering up this whole idea of self-importance, self-esteem. Look into yourself. There is the answer. And the reality is, is that, the, and the irony of it all, is that the answer is not in pure community either. Where the individual is, is consumed and ignored to the point of, let's just be the community. The problem is, is that we've struggled with the tension between the value of the individual and the value of the community. And we've, and we've knuckled it down to an either or. Either we are individuals and have the right to pursue whatever we will with the help of everybody else to support us along the way, no matter how much it conflicts with the rest of the community, or it's the community and, and government or elders, they, they select the agenda of what we should believe and what we should do, and we should just follow it. And to hell with any ideas of and claims to individual individuality. Just be part of the community, toe the line, and don't do anything else that puts the community in jeopardy. That's not the answer either. Human dignity is established in the fact that we are made in the image of God. And it is God, the triune God, that is that unifying principle. As we are all worshipping the Lord, as we are all focused on the Lord and saying, Lord, I thank you for putting your image upon me. As we look around us, we see everybody else doing the same, and we're saying, well, I am, all made in, I am also made in the image of God. I'm going to worship my God. As we are all doing this together, that's the picture of unity the Bible brings. It's the picture of Revelation 7. Every tribe, every tongue, every gender, every class, 
It's the picture that worshipping God and the, and, and, and the, 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 the putting up of God as the highest ideal that unifies us. That all of our differences are consumed in that act of worship. That's the unifying principle that Paul preaches. And that's the, the unifying principle that we should preach in the midst of this soapbox era of so many different agendas. The question is then, and I believe to some extent I probably already answered that for you, but I put it out there anyway. Is Christian, is Christian unity something we can take or leave? I mean, is it one of those things where, you know, if I feel like it, maybe I'll pursue it, but ultimately it's not really, as far as I'm concerned, a gospel issue. Can I take it and leave, or can I take it or leave it? Well, 1 John 4, 20 tells us that if you say you love God and don't love or hate your fellow brother, then you're lying. If it's just about, well, as, as long as I'm, I'm focused on the Lord and I've got a, a few good friends around me who I can, I can share my ideas with, ultimately I'm all right. I don't really need to worry about any of the, the complex issues of trying to relate to somebody I don't fully understand. Or is not on my level. And it's disappointing. Because I've, I've, I've seen that we are struggling with this personally as a community. This is my home church, so I can speak to you in a way that I can't speak to other communities that I have to preach to. I've seen it where we don't feel that it's our problem if someone walks out of our church without being greeted, and then we're saying, that's not on me. I'm disappointed that we have got to that point where we don't care. And as enraged as I was at hearing that, really just kind of boiled down over time to just a frustration because I'm aware that life wears on us. And so I know where those comments come from. Man, I've tried the whole church. I've tried to get involved. I've tried to get plugged in. And, like, you know, I've been disappointed. I've got beaten back. And I've been there, and I hear it. And sometimes I just want to get in, and I want to get out because I'm hurting. And I understand that. But if the Christmas carol teaches us anything, it reminds us that Scrooge 
didn't start out the way that he ended up when we meet him at the beginning of the story. Life weird on him as well. He was a happy, go lucky, jolly fellow. But as he went through life, he got to that point where he was like, forget it. The death of his, his beautiful sister was the, was the nail in the coffin. I'm frustrated. Life is, life is rubbish. Let me just make the best of it or what I want. And, then they, and, and that's it. It's, so to those who are in those frustrations, and I know we've all been there, if we're not there right now, is that what we want? To let that wear and tear bring us to that point where you say, forget it. I've had enough. Let me just do me. Or are we going to try to push on and say, let me try again. Let me get Dust myself off. I've been hurt. But I'm going to love. And I'm going to care. Until it hurts. Well, we've got Jesus as an example. And, and Paul draws for the biggest example he possibly can. He says, well, then look at Jesus. Look at the glory in which he divested himself of in order to obtain you. The best example he possibly can. The ancient world, and before I go into my next point, I mean, the ancient world was, was very much a you know, established in this whole idea of what it was to be, what it was like to be thankful to a, a benefactor. If somebody helped you out in the ancient world, Say somebody lo loaned you a, a, a huge sum of money that got you and your family out of a, a, out of a, a, out of a hole. Or say they saved your life. Maybe on the battlefield, maybe within the work situation. Within the ancient world, no matter whether it was the Middle Eastern or whether it was the European, there was this understanding that your life was now theirs. And your whole life was now played out in being thankful to that benefactor. You have saved me from a fate worse than death. And now, I don't care how long it is, 30 years after the effect, 40 years after the effect, I am going to remain thankful for what you have done. And I'm never going to let you forget it. And more, so, and more so, I'm going to show you that you having saved my life was worth your while. In the final scene, between, as, as Captain Miller draws his last breath, he now looks at Private Ryan and he says to him, earn this. He says, earn this. I mean, we've just been celebrating, you know, the 75th anniversary of D-Day, right? Looking at this generation, and to some extent, I hope we are all to some degree thankful. And so it's not 
without coincidence, I return there and, and try to put that in your remembrance. That peace it comes at a cost. What I like to interpret those final words of, of Captain Miller is to say, live worthy of the life that has, live a life that is worthy of the cost that it has come at. So in that last scene of the movie, we see Private Ryan now looking to two generations of his family and saying, am I a good man? And his wife, his children, probably his grandchildren are crying and saying, yes. As he's looking at Captain Miller's tomb. You've been a good man. What a tragedy. It would have been for Ryan to be in that position if he had been a drunk, abusive, wife-beating, thief, murderer, liar, adulterer, and says, yes, thank you, Captain Miller, for saving me so that I can do all these things. Both the legalists and the liberals get it wrong. The thrust for the life that we live before God is not on the basis that we, quote, unquote, earn it, and therefore it's the down payment. The cost has been made, whatever we have done. It's not now that I can do enough so that ultimately I can pay off my benefactor and no longer be thankful. It's no, it isn't also for me to now take the liberty and say, well, thank you for my life. Thank you for sparing my life. I've booked my ticket now to the new world. Let me go and do as I please. The thrust for now living out the gospel is to say, Lord, help me to live worthy of the cost. Let me not cheapen your death. by living in a way that ultimately doesn't honor you. In an ancient custom, in the ancient custom, and again, let me just give you this as a kind of a historical detail. If you knew your benefactor, say you were a businessman, and a rival to your benefactor came and tried to elicit your services so that they could ultimately undermine your benefactor, do you know what you would have had to do? You would have to say, um, yeah, thank you for your business. Sorry, I have a benefactor who has actually given me, um, I can't work against his interest or her interest. No can do, sorry. You have to take your business elsewhere. I guess the question is, is just making sure we know what our business ought to be and how best to honor our benefactor. And as we jump into the text, we're going to learn a little bit about how we do that. 
So anyway, let me start. Verse 12. Therefore, beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now only, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, as I said, this is not about earning it. Work out here, the, the Greek word has that, that meaning of bring to completion. Usually, it's used in the Hawaii, the, 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 the sense of, if you have a mine, mine it for everything that it has. Completely drain that mine of whatever ore it has. It's also used in the sense of, of a field and harvest time. It means completely harvest your field. Completely use, don't let any crop go to waste. In other words, it's saying, make the most of the opportunity your salvation has brought to your life. Work it out. Mine it for all the possibilities it's brought, it's brought into your life. Bring it to completion. Which is, again, brings us right the way back to chapter 1, verse 6, doesn't it? That he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Let God do and have his way in your life. Let him have it. Let him mine you for every opportunity you have now that you are his. Never be found to be working against his best interests. I want to take, I mean, you don't have to turn there, but I want to take us, I want to read briefly from the book of Jeremiah, verse chapter 7 and verse 8. He says this, and this is the Lord speaking at the time of Jeremiah. And again, he's reminding us of this whole idea of how then should I live this out? What was God expecting of Israel when he saved them from Egypt? And the prophet Jeremiah says this, while standing in the temple as people are going in there in their sinful lives, and he says this, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you still commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Now go to, the, to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made you, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house, do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. If you go to 1 Samuel 
You don't have to turn there. This is your time for your own study. And look at what the house of Eli were doing and his sons. Sex in the temple, stealing people's sacrifices. And, and Shiloh was the first place that the temple was established. And Shiloh was completely wiped out. Because the first thing that the prophet Samuel was given as a child to tell, the house, to tell Eli was that God is going to bring an end to your house. Because of the evil that you're doing here. Have I saved you so that you can live like this and work against my interest in my own house? And it's no wonder that Jesus quotes this exact same verse when he's in the temple. And he says, you've become a den of thieves and you think that this house is going to stand? And come AD 70, he says, one, you, behold, the days are coming where one stone will stand upon another. Along comes Titus. He was telling them that exactly as he warned, as Samuel warned Eli, this will come to an end. God would rather put an end to that relationship between us. And this is not to say that God actually brought an end to his relationship to Israel. That's not what I'm saying. But he would rather put you in the correction where he are not allow, he's not going to allow you to bring him to shame. I'd, I'd rather bring it to an end than let you carry on and say that this is what I'm doing in the name of Yahweh. God will discipline you rather than allow you to go on and make it look like he doesn't care. And it doesn't matter what I do. It's also the, you know, again, the lesson in Matthew 18, isn't it? About the man who was forgiven much. And then trucks along the road, having been given, forgiven this huge debt, and then wants to grab somebody else up who owes him a little bit of money. He's acting as though nothing has happened in his life. And the Lord says, this will not be so. I will not allow this man to go on and dishonoring me, though as if nothing had happened. Paul again reminds us in Romans 1.5, isn't it, that we are called to the obedience of faith. I believe that God has really saved me. I believe that I've really been forgiven a huge debt. And because I acknowledge that that deliverance is so unique and so intense and, 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 and so glorious and gracious, that I am going to be obedient to the faith that I now have in that, that, that deliverance. I'm going to now mine it for everything it has. I'm going to use it. But Paul goes on, but it is God who is at work in us to will and to do. Again, the, the, the whole idea of works in this whole idea is the energy. God gives us energy to be able to do the things that we need to do. He gives us the will and the energy to complete it. And so therefore God is working into us so that we can work out stuff. But what exactly is it that God is working in? What is he using in our lives so that we can grow? Well, I think 
Wearsby's um, commentary is particularly good here, and I would recommend it for those who maybe want to use it as a guide. You know, it's called Be Joyful. It's a very easy, um, kind of more of a devotional read, so I plug that, grab it. And it says, the first thing he mentions is that his word is what he gives us. And by way of application, the first thing I will say, are you reading his word? Are you understanding the nature of God? Are you going through the Bible, verse upon verse, chapter upon chapter, book by book, to understand who is it, this God, whom I have been saved by? Where does his interest lie? What is he like? What is he expecting of me? What did he expect of others? What did he expect of Israel? What did he expect of his church? What does he say? Are you resisting the urge to read his word? Because it's saying that he will give you a will to do it. If you're saved. But if you're batting it away or a bit busy today, I bought a one-year Bible, but you know what? Maybe one year I'll, I'll read it, actually, and actually get the way, <laughs> get past Leviticus, right? Maybe one day. I, I don't really want to do And And I'll be honest, if you want to understand the holiness of God, Leviticus is probably the worst place to drop off from. Do you get it? It's the actual place where the whole idea of what it's like, what God is actually like, what, the, what it's like to be a priest we're a kingdom of priests, right? To be a priest in the service of God, Leviticus is the worst place you can stop. You see all the allusion to, 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 the, to the cross. The bird that's wrapped upon a stick with a piece of scarlet around it. And that as, you, as the person brings that sacrifice to the priest, the priest, they bring two birds. One of those birds gets it. And then as that blood from that bird is now taken from that bird, it's now sprinkled on the other bird, and the other bird is let go. Leviticus is the worst place to stop. Because if you want to know about atonement, about what it is, how did God purchase? Why did he have to die on the cross? Why did it have to be that way? Why couldn't God just, from heaven, just absolve me? His word would be enough, right? Why did it have to happen that way? You need to be in his word. So that as you're learning these things, you can now work out what those, the implication of that word is. The next thing is through prayer. What's your prayer life like? Are you experiencing that intimacy? We're all relational, right? We realize that we can't really say we know somebody until we've really spent some time with them, catching up with them. Speaking our problems to them, airing our issues. This is how it is. You will not draw close to God if you're not prepared to spend some time and go through what you're going through with him. 
This is me. This is what I'm going through. Lord, I'm hurting. Look at the book of Psalms. There is no degree of honesty he will not accept. Lord, I'll be honest with you. I don't even think you're just. I see rich, I see wicked people going free. What kind of God are you? There is no level of honesty he would not accept. Just as long as you can come to that place where you say, Lord, I may not understand how you're working things out, but nonetheless, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. If you don't know how to pray, just read some Psalms. Get some momentum. Then pray as they sang. How else does God get us through this? Well, finally, we as we mentioned suffering. Our challenges. Those long periods of unemployment. Those times where finances are, are really tight. Those times where relationships are difficult. The things that we normally want to get over with as soon as possible. The things that we don't really say, Lord, what are you teaching me through this time? And what we do is try to wait it out to the end. And in that way, we disengage. We said, well, you know, I don't really feel like being around anybody at the moment. I, I'm just struggling and, you know, and ultimately we just try to, let me speak for myself rather than for you. Just bury my head in the sand, and then hopefully when the suffering passes, and then we go, we get to the end of it. Oh, wow, bingo, you got a job. Oh, wow, that relationship, oh, they've said sorry. Oh, great, I can move on. And we've learnt nothing. We've not learnt what it is to kind of like say, well, in this time where I'm struggling financially, maybe I've got more time to sit down and do all those things that I said I would do once I have that time, Lord. And the Lord has made a way. That relationship's really difficult. And, you know, and maybe the Lord is teaching you how to forgive somebody before they respond to you. Maybe he's given you the initiative to go and make the effort. And then you pass it by. You wait for them to show up. Our sufferings are great opportunities to actually say, Lord, what, are you, what might you be teaching me through this particular time? If you're struggling to grow, if you're struggling to say, well, if you're looking at your life and say, I'm not really that much more mature than I was maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, five years ago. I'm not really growing, and, and you know it. Maybe that's you today. You know you're not growing. You're showing up, hopefully... The word will inspire you today enough to be able to get through the week, but ultimately, you know you're not growing. Maybe that's you. If you're a believer, what are you doing with that will, that impulse that the Lord has given you to grasp those opportunities that he's placed in your life? We live in a land where Bibles are plenty. At work, I'm dealing with guys from Iran at the moment, fleeing 
there and, you know, but in the gospel. No Bible in Iran. I can't, I can't order enough Farsi Bibles at the present moment in time. They just keep on flying off the shelf. Flying off the shelf. Richard, can you get us some literature? Some, we've got nothing in Farsi so that we can know what the will of God is. We've got the Bible study guides in, in Farsi too. Yeah, sure. There's nothing like seeing, a, seeing somebody from a place where there is no word of God present and being able to look at our own situation and say, what are we doing Maybe we've come to that point where we really need to start reading the small text in our study Bibles. The one that you bought, remember? So that you can know the word better. Let's start reading it. Let's start reading the small text. What are you doing with that impulse? The impulse to pray and the impulse to, to, to grasp onto, Lord, this is a difficult situation. I know that you've brought this into my life. Why? What are you doing with that impulse, that will that God has given you so that you can work out something? <laughs> Verse 14, do all things without grumbling and disputing. <laughs> Let's just stop there. <laughs> We all know that it's not just what you do, it's how you do it, right? Grumbling to be obedient is not the same thing as the joyfully going and being engaged in these things. It's not the same thing. Paul is quite thorough here. It's, it's just not enough to do these things. It's to do it without grumbling and without disputing. Well, it's got to be like this, and, you know. Well, if it's not exactly like this, you know what? I'm, I, I, I challenge that. And I'm not going to be involved at all. You know, we need to learn how to, to, to disagree with one another and still love one another, right? And we've got to work really hard at that. We really do. You know, you are but one person and you only have a perspective. And that's why all this stuff about, you know, my gender, my ethnicity, all those kind of things, we, it's, it's all our perspective. None of us holds the complete picture as to how life works. And to sit down and listen to, you know, and to create a space in your mind where you've, you've created a blank area where you're not prepared to listen to any other perspective because you've already figured out it's wrong. And that's one of the reasons why, because of that presupposition that we have in our mind, that presupposes it, normally not thought through. Normally not thought through, just held. That you cannot, and because you, you hold those ideas, not only do you... With, Refuse entry of those ideas into your brain. You refuse the people who hold them. I refuse to, and, and there is where it begins. 
is the inability to, to not allow our perspective to dominate how we enter a conversation, how we enter into a debate. We need to hear out some perspectives, some ideas from people that we don't like because, you know what, they may actually have something that helps you. And we do it humbly, as Paul is reminding us. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I find everything you stand for disagreeable. But you know what? I'm called to humble myself. Let me just listen and hear you out. Let me know your thoughts. The denial of ideas is denial of people. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine. <laughs> Do we shine? Are we distinct as a community? Are we so distinct that, you know, when people come in here, they say, you know what? I ain't seen anything out there. I've been to bingo night. I've been on the football terraces. I've been to the Prince Charles Theatre on a sing-along night. Sing along to the sound of music. To Tangled. I've been to, all, I've been to places where I've seen some great fellowship, but I ain't never seen anything like that when I come to this, to this place, to this community. Are we shining? Are we incomparable to any other community out there who have very, very small things in which they, could, they can be in, in unity with? Very small, but yet it's enough that when you go into those places, you know, they're rubbing amongst each other and there's no issues. The odd football fight, right? <laughs> but... That's with the rivals. Are we really in that place where we are shining? Because this is what Paul is aiming for. I want you to shine in contrast to the world out there. I want you to be so different that you stand out amongst the crowd. That when people come into this community, they can only feel the love. That the worst thing they can say about us is that, well, I may not agree with their gospel, but their lives are authentic. They really believe it. And that's the worst they can say of us. I still find the gospel offensive, but you know what? They're a caring community, and they listen to me. Ain't nobody got a reason to be as, as unified and committed and a cohesive unit as we do. Paul believes that we've got the solution to unity. Let's use it. Let's demonstrate it to the world. This is all application. Let's shine.
Oh, well, do that. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. You know, holding fast to the word of life. Let me just state, let me just kind of park there for a very short period of time and say, you know what? It's the gospel that saves us. It's the message and that which we believe. And the problem is that we can so often see justification and that gospel triggers that justification as a point where you say, well, I really only need it for the beginning. So often what we see is like the space shuttle, isn't it? You know, the old school space shuttles, um, no, the, the rockets, is that the gospel becomes that fuel in which gets us into the air, but then ultimately, as you break the atmosphere and you now hit, you know, zero gravity, that all of a sudden you jettison the rockets because you've got that, that fuel is now spent. It's just dead weight now. And that you jettison those rockets so that you can just fly on through space without any more hindrances. The gospel is not like that. It's not spent fuel that ultimately gets you into the place, into the, into the zero gravity of heaven. And all of a sudden now, we can now just float on that past experience, that zeal. Because obviously, we already found out that it runs out, right? It runs out. And if, any, if anything, it's that zeal that runs out. And then we need it to be topped up again through something else. And it's the gospel. So often we think it's the gospel. I don't really need to hear that. I need some, you know, deep teaching. And the gospel becomes this thing that was alienated at the beginning of our lives. But we need to hold fast to the word that it all began with. Remember what John says to the church? You've forgotten, at Ephesus, you've forgotten your first love. We need to hold fast to the gospel. The gospel at the beginning, the gospel through the, the good times, the bad times, and right through to the end. That it's the gospel that's on our mouth as we give our dying breath. I thank the Lord for the gospel that has saved me. And now go on to the peace of my Lord. Gospel from beginning to end. Remind yourself what it is you're saved. And why? That Paul may be proud of you. And the day of Christ. Again, the day of Christ, I, I assume, means the same thing as the day of the Lord, which is the end of all time, the end of the age. That when it comes down to it and... The Lord now looks at Paul and says, well, what did you do with the opportunity I gave you? How did you work out your salvation? Well, I went to a few places and I preached the gospel. And there are these communities that I believe that have really thrived because I was faithful in preaching to them. And not merely just preaching and leaving, to, leaving them, but continuing to make sure they grew and that they were nurtured. I wrote a few letters. that I may be proud of you. Like Captain Miller to Ryan, right? Live so that I can be proud of you. Proud to have laid down my life so that you might live. Proud. Hey. I would do that again because of the life you've lived. 
I would gladly give my life for your life. Living worthy of our benefactor. And as we get to the final verse, verses, and says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, a libation, as I'm pouring out, that's that image of, 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 of just pouring out a sacrifice. And as it hits that hot sacrifice thing, it all just fizzles up. My life being poured out upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and I'm rejoicing with you all. Paul obviously is reminding them that he could possibly die. He's in prison and he's writing them and saying that this could lead to my death, but I gladly will die for your sakes so that I know that you continue on. My death is not a hindrance. In fact, I gladly would give my life knowing that this is what's done. It kind of brings to me, you know, what he says in you know, Romans 12, 1, isn't it? Now, therefore, give your life sacrificially to the gospel. Not just him. I'm not an elite Christian, Paul is saying. You also pour out your life. And now find out what the will of the Lord is. The good, the perfect, and acceptable will of God. How can I give my life sacrificially, Lord? Show me what I can do. Show me the good thing I could do. Show me the perfect thing. Show me even the acceptable. Let me choose at least one of them. He also says, likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Don't weep that I'm going to die. This is not the end. This is not the end of my gospel. This is, it's not me who has saved you. I leave you to the spirit of God. And as you'll find out next week, I leave you to the, the new line of leaders who will continue on to Timothy and Aphroditus. I leave you to them. I commend them to you. The gospel continues. So we don't need to be afraid about me dying. But I guess my challenge for us as well is that when you hear about somebody dying for the gospel, if you knew that one of us were going to die, gladly die for the gospel, would you consider that to be a waste of their life? Would you consider it to be a waste of your life? Is the gospel really worth dying for? It's eye-opening, isn't it? Would we rejoice at the opportunity to die for this? Switching ourselves from the place of of. Private Ryan, to the place of Captain Miller, to Paul. Would you gladly die so that others can live? It's a tough application, isn't it? But if we want to shine, Paul is not 
He's given us the best case scenario. This is, if you were going to take this and become a really unified church and, and really get to that place where he says, I want to aim for the stars. I want you to be able to rejoice in dying for this. What is it going to take for you to get to that point where you can really say, yes, Paul, I rejoice with you. If you're going to die for the gospel, that the Lord's will be done. And if it's me tomorrow, that the Lord's will be done. Oh, to get to that place, eh? What a glorious place it would be. Because all the debates, all the differences will fade. And it will just be the gospel that compels us. What a wonderful world that would be. What a wonderful community this would be. Even more so than we are right now, right? Let's pray. Father, <laughs> you are who you are. Lord, we're having to go, you know, having to climb through a tough bit of application there, Lord God, and, and say, you know, Paul aims there, Lord God, no less for the best possible thing that we can possibly, you know, that, that the church can gain is that we would be so different to the communities out there, there, Lord God, all the, the communities that would claim to be that they are, they are really one and they are unified. But, you know, Lord, you've called us to such a high calling. Paul is just being faithful to the gospel. He is leading the way and he's saying, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. And he's asking that, you know, I'm prepared to die for this. Will you be prepared to die for this too? And I know that when we really ask that question to ourselves, we know that we really know how far we're willing to go. Maybe there are people here today who, are, who, who, who would say, you know what, Lord? You know, I've not aimed for anything, but I'll aim for acceptable. I'll start reading. I'll start praying a bit more. I will... I will I will start to allow you to use my suffering as a way in which you talk to me. I will, I will, I will see those as opportunities now. Maybe some people will aim for good. I want to do that and more. Well, I, well, I have read through my, my one-year Bible. Now I want to kind of go deeper, Lord. I want, I want to understand who it is. I, I realize that it's not just about the leaders being able to understand these things, but I know you've called me to understand who you are. I'm going to go for good. I'm going to dig deeper into your, to your word. I want to use that as an opportunity. Lord, maybe there's somebody who's at that point who wants to aim for perfect. They've seen the lesson. They've, 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 they've not been, you know, they've been a believer for a while now. They've done it. They understand the gospel. They've preached it. They know it. They've lived for it, their Lord God. And now they said, Lord, you know, if I have the opportunity, I would die for this. And maybe they want, they want perfect, their Lord God. My prayer is that, Lord, if wherever we might find ourselves in this world, that, Lord, wherever we might need to aim for, I pray that, Lord, we would do so with a zeal, a renewed zeal fueled by the gospel. I have been saved. I have been redeemed. I am part of this community. The Lord has not saved me for no reason. 
I want to mine this opportunity that I have now that the gospel has been, has been given to me and, and that I am now living within that and I am forgiven. I want to use that opportunity. I don't want no stone that is not unturned in my life. I'm in for the full work. Lord, wherever we're going to aim today, I want to pray that, Father, that as much as we have resisted your will and that impulse to, to engage with you, then, Lord God, that, Father, we will, you know, that there would be people here, if not everyone here, that's prepared to do more to that impulse and that will. Lord, please, I pray, just, just help us. Because it is you that work in us. Let us not resist the spirit of the living God. Have your way in us, my Lord, and, and give us the grace to continue then, Lord Father. Help us to avoid discipline like you had to do to Israel. And no like to, to other parts and other times where your church has rebelled and you've had to draw works to a close. Help us to avoid that, the Lord God. Help us to be a community that will really love one another to the point of shining. Thank you for the opportunity that this word gives us, the Lord God. And, and as we look about, not just to the week ahead or even the day ahead, but Lord, to our lives ahead that are before us, use us, dear Lord God. And if I'm not prepared to say I would die for this gospel to, today, dear Lord God, make it our aim, help it to be our aim that we would do so if the need arise. Again, I thank you for, for this time we're spending in Philippines, helping to, 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 to really draw our church together. And this is my prayer. In Jesus' name. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.